Sorry about a bit of a full start there, guys, straight off the box, but good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Lauren McKillop. Firstly, we'd like to start tonight by thanking our sponsor of the Dog Talk Live Q&As, Enduro, High Energy Food for Working Dogs with Real Kangaroo Meat for jumping aboard and sponsoring all our live Q&As. Tonight, we're lucky enough to be speaking with Ian O'Connell from Doghouse Training, who will be picking what he thinks is the best question from our live viewers and um, they will win a bag of Enduro Plus. Hi, Ian. How are you going? Good, thanks, Laura. How are you guys going? G'day, Dan. Good, good thanks, mate. A bit easier now uh, after that little full start, but we're, uh, <laughs> we're back on track and we're ready to get going. <laughs> so you want to tell us a bit about yourself, uh, Ian, your family, where you're from, what you do? Uh, yeah, sure. Just, uh, just briefly, um, originally from just south of Casterton, uh, born into a small... A family farm just south of Casterton. Uh, uh, grew up uh, sort of on the family farm, but my father also did a lot of droving, and so I was always around. Everything was done on horseback simply because of the nature of the landscape. A yep. lot of heavily timbered, steep country, pretty inaccessible. So we always had teams of working dogs and horses. So that they're my first memories. Um, left school a bit early. Uh, went shearing and just doing, just working on properties, doing stock work, uh, travelling around a lot, carting hay, fencing, shearing, as I said, uh, stock contract work. Um, and then slowly started buying a bit of land myself, so put a noose around my neck at a fairly early age and uh, <laughs> made me shear a lot longer and doing my stock work at night. And, uh, no motivation, like owing money, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, and I kept doing that for a number of years, so ended up with our own property. Um, 16, 18 years ago, we sold our property that we'd put together south of Casterton and moved to a place uh, at uh, the Grampians between Hamilton and Dunkel. Yep. And we've recently just sold that and moved south to, uh, well, we've bought another farm at Crosley and uh, we're now living at Port Ferry. So, uh, yeah, but now south of Hamilton. Yeah, cool. Why the move? Why the move? Yeah. Because uh, I keep having birthdays and uh, <laughs> uh, I just always loved the, the country south around Port Ferry, Crosley. It's I've actually, uh, my, my whole life seems to be governed by, I think, I don't know, there's a bit of a spirit or something about Kelpie, uh, but like, as you know, Casterton was the birthplace of the Kelpie so-called. Um, my hero in life is Jack Gleeson, I guess, the young Irish stockman that started the breed. Yeah. And he, he turned up in Caston, you know, in 1870, sorry. But he actually come from where I am now at Port Ferry. And uh, he actually went, when he became ill, uh, he came back to the Crosley, which is where I've got my farm, and passed away there at 38. He's only 38 year old. And he's actually buried, his resting place is only about three kilometres from my uh my farm now, Tower Hill Cemetery. So I don't know. I, I just think I'm I'm in the loop. You might gravitated towards it. I hate to think where I'm going next. Actually, <laughs> well, you've made it past thirty eight, so you're doing something right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, how did your passion for working dogs come to be? Sorry. How did your uh, passion for working dogs come to be? Yeah, well, that's an interesting one. As I said, my first memories are definitely working stock and horses and dogs. But I grew up, it was a time, like it's going back a long time, um, 
when everything that was everything to 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 get control of children uh uh animals whether it be horses or dogs there seemed this thing about we needed pain or fear and so i used to cop it when i was a little tacker and if i didn't get things right i i wore it as did the dogs that were around me as did the horses and everything that was the way society worked back then i took an exception to it big time right at the start um and i guess i used to get away by myself with some dogs at any chance i got this is when i was a child and just do some play acting with them to try and get myself sorted a bit because i wasn't liking what i was seeing <laughs> and straight away i just seen that i i started getting some pretty good responses from the dogs in such a way that you know when we'd be going somewhere to do a driving job on horseback and i'd be only like you know just a little fella um the dogs seemed to follow me and not who the people that owned them so that didn't go down terribly well but <laughs> uh i just right from an early age i've seen some shocking things and uh i know they still it still happens yeah and i've just got this passion to try and i try and make it better because everything i've achieved in my life has come about from working dogs they've given me everything that i've got uh as not only uh, material wise but just the the companionship the mateship like today i hardly seen anyone else today but i i was out working with my with my dogs and so they're my, my companions and i just uh we we owe them a huge debt of gratitude and i just think we just got to change our you know society needs to change the way they look at working dogs but probably any dogs uh, i know a lot of you know the enormous amount of people out there that treat their dogs extremely well don't get me wrong but it's not right across the board and uh so if it's i don't know if it's a passion but it's a it's a it's a legacy i guess it's just something i need to do to try and change change ways mm. must be good to go to work with your best mates every day Oh, like a, it's it is like I I am just the luckiest person in the world to be able to do that. You know, I, I am now self-employed, where I can pretty much do what I want to do. It hasn't always been like that, of course, but now it is. And just to go out working stock with your dogs, training a pup, uh, yeah, there is no. I can't think. I could not think of anything better. It's it ticks all the boxes for me. So, so you mentioned their dogs all day. So, what's a what's a normal day for you and your team these days? If there is oh, such a thing as normal. No, it, well, that's the other great thing about you, you know farming with livestock and dogs. Every day is different. You just never know. One day you might machinery might be broken down, so it might be a trip to town to get something repaired or get some replacements. So, four or five of your dogs will be on the back and go to town. They absolutely love it um see what the town dogs yep. are doing uh other times like this all this morning i was uh crutching crutching in a cradle and i had a, a few dogs just keeping the sheep up to me i was there by myself uh, the sun was shining um yeah nothing better love it yeah um you mentioned there taking dogs to town you always have a dog with you mate oh absolutely always uh I think this is one of the big things. Anything that I do say tonight is is only my opinion. So, and I know there's a lot of other people, a lot of people out there with fantastic dogs, and and they do it. They achieve those results not doing what I do. So, what what I'm going to be talking about is just what I do. 
Um, but a big part for me of having good working dogs is they be, they've got to be part of my life. They're not like a piece of machinery where I've just got a job for them to do, so I'll go and start them up and they must perform. Um, they are part of my life. A, a dog's got this innate desire to be with a human. Sometimes I'm not sure why they have, but they just have. They want to belong to a human and 24-7 they're yearning to be with the human. So if you want really good working dogs, make sure you're like they're an emotional being. They're not much different to humans in the fact that they they feel everything we feel. They feel joy, pain, fear, anxiety, depression. Um, you, you name it, dogs have it. Yep. And so if they've got this innate desire to be with a human, the more we can cater for that, uh, I think the happier their life's going to be. And believe me, a happy dog is a, is a, a huge asset. Like a happy dog is a great dog. Yeah. It makes you wonder sometimes when they're not treated good, why they still hang around, right? Well, that's their biggest fault, I think, is that they're so forgiving. Um, I think uh, if it, like, I mean, I'm only human too, and I've got, I've got undesirable traits and I've got probably what has taught me more about dogs is dogs themselves. What has taught me the most about dogs is dogs themselves. And when I was a young fella, if I did, uh, spit the dummy at some stage out in the middle of the bush with a mob of uh, weaned heifers, you know, cattle or something out in the, you know, out in the sticks. And if you put a bit of heat on a dog and he decides to leave you and head for home, well, you very quickly learn that that's a big mistake. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I learned that a long time ago by having dogs that, you know, every now and then you'd have one that would say, well, no, I'm not putting up with that. I'm, I'm off. And you soon learn right out. Uh, that hasn't done anyone any good. So um, now we're all in this together, guys. So we'll stick together. How did you handle those particular situations when something did want to, when you did put a bit of heat and our oh, mate thought, oh, well, I'll get out of the kitchen? Oh, I can remember one particular time out in the middle of a stringy buck scrub it was. So no fences, nothing. And uh, uh, and the horse tipped me off. I, I don't know, I'm not sure. I wouldn't have been very old, but the horse tipped me off. And, and uh, I was obviously come pretty unhappy about the whole situation and I might have started roaring a bellow or something. <laughs> and the dogs went then. So the horse had gone, the dogs had gone. And here I had a, a mob of, I'm not sure whether it was sheep or cattle, but uh, I'll never forget that. That was, and of course, I was going to end up get, getting home with a, not having done what I was supposed to have done. So yeah. we all copped it that day. And a little bit of exercise along the way. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Um, how has the style of dog you're currently having your team changed um, from the style you started with? Yeah, I think dogs generally, uh, like I travel around a bit doing schools and stuff like that. So, you know, up into the uh, pastoral zones, it's totally different to where we are down here. You know, high rainfall areas, high stocking rate, a lot of crossbred sheep, uh, a lot of cattle uh, intensively grazed, etc. So we've got a different type of dog here, but back when we were doing everything on horseback and in inaccessible country, most of our dogs were fairly wide. Dogs are kept off their stock because you couldn't afford to uh, upset your stock, otherwise you'd lose them. Yep. Um, and so they were a thinking type of dog that kept off their stock pretty well. Uh, 
whereas now everything is everything's got to be done yesterday you know we've got low b doubles we've got crutching trailers uh you know penning up uh we've got laneways we've got motorbikes it's the whole thing's changed even though i know there is areas where they haven't uh, yep. you take the high country where of course things aren't much different as far as handling livestock and dogs to what they were probably 150 years ago but where we are here um it's totally different so now my dogs are more yeah they, they they're not they're not i haven't got well you know those deep wide casting searching dogs anymore because i don't need them um you know i've got dogs that just get the job done shift stock crossbred sheep etc yeah I, I actually had this conversation with a mate last night and talking about you know big casting dogs and i think exactly what you said there times have changed like now where you'd go out on a horse and your dog had to work and you know, it was walking the whole time, you'd send it out. But now to conserve the energy, if you can get around on bike, buggy, car, why wouldn't you conserve your dog and try and get as close as you can to your stock to get everything to mob up a bit and let your dog, you know, then do its job. And that way you can actually check the fences while you're doing it, check sometimes got a head stuck through a fence. Oh, absolutely. Oh, um, yeah, that, that is what, um, that's what I've noticed that what has changed yeah like if you go into a, a big if you went into a big paddock with a horse to do a muster or something well you didn't have time to check the fence check check everything you know especially yeah. big paddocks a few thousand hectares or something uh so you rely on your your, your deep cast and searching dogs and uh and whereas now no sure you go into a paddock uh yeah while you're there check the water check the fences check check for a car sheep check for a sick cow and while you're doing it, you're sort of pulling the mob together. And then, as you say, just let your dog off and he's fresh. But it is, uh, the dogs aren't as fit as they used to be. Um, we might have even bred out some of the uh, the endurance out of the dogs because it's not required. Not where we are here. I know, you know, yep. Australia is a big place. And uh, a lot of places, endurance is needed every much as, you know, I remember I used to shear on... Uh, Commonwealth Hill, which is, I think, the biggest fence sheep station in the world, or it used to be anyway, 3 million acres. And, uh, oh, yeah. yep. you know, 22,000 acre paddocks are small paddocks. So uh, those dogs that are working up there, although even though saying that now, there's, you know, motorbike helicopters that are taken over from the dog even there. So, but yeah, there's nothing I see now where, you know, you, you'll see a young fella head out in the paddock to do a muster with a dog on the back of a motorbike. He'll send the dog. And the dog's either going to go the wrong way or it's a bit slow. So I'll make passes the dog on the motorbike and does the cast himself and then sort of wonders why we haven't got these good deep casting dogs. <laughs> That's why, you know, we're cutting them out of a job. Yeah. The times have changed. So we move with the times, dogs move with the times. So you really just, we just need dogs that suit our enterprise. Yeah, so technology while it's sped things up, it's actually taken away a few things as well. Well, it's changed to dogs, but I'm like, I'm never against progress. Uh, I think, you know, I think the world we live in now, despite what you read and what social media tells us, I think that it's a, that the world is an, an amazing place. It's far better now than what I, well, than what it used to be. I'm sure it is. Anyone that ever went through the First World War, Second World War, the Depression, um, I didn't. But, uh, yeah. uh, I think they'd think we're pretty lucky. So. Uh, no, I think we just change for the times we go with it. We accept change, and 
yeah, dogs are changing, we're changing, everything's changing. Go with it and enjoy it. I reckon we're pretty lucky too, mate. A lot of us complain about a lot, but I reckon we're pretty lucky either either way. So yeah, yeah. You know, just, uh, I, I enjoy looking at the sun every morning, mate. So I'll keep that going for me, anyways. Absolutely, that's the one. <laughs> uh, where are we are to here. So, um, what are your fundamentals of training? Oh wow, you've really opened a can of worms now. <laughs> uh, fundamentals of training. Um, uh, well, I, I would don't know where to start. It's such a big subject, but uh, I think just a few things that I I would start with. One is I'm never in a hurry to train a dog. Like uh, the, the number one principle to me is when you're thinking thinking of time frames for training a dog is the one year in seven rule. So a one year old dog is equivalent to a seven year old child, and so a six month old dog is equivalent to a three-and-a-half-year-old child. A two-year-old dog is equivalent to a 14-year-old child, so it's at one year to seven. We've got to remember that, you know, if we've got a six-month-old pup out there and have all these great expectations of backing the drench race all day, loading trucks, mustering a 1,000 sheep out of a 100-hectare paddock or something, if it does it, well and good, but it's not going to do it for long because it's like taking a three-and-a-half-year-old child down the coal, coal mine. You know, you're going to cook them. Let them grow up. Uh, at that age, they don't have the capacity to learn. So my number one thing is I'm never in a hurry to, people say, when, do you, when should we start training a dog? Some of the best dogs I've had, I've, they weren't trained until they were eight, seven or eight year old. You know, they've come out of Melbourne, someone's had a kelpie down there and it's, it's absolutely drove them mad as it would and it should. And I've got it, it's hadn't seen a sheep for eight years. Uh, Probably, you know, in no time at all, you because it's got it's got the capacity to learn, it's got its natural instincts, it's had a good upbringing in that nothing bad's ever happened to it. Gee, they're, they're, they're amazing dogs. So that's number one is let, let them grow up. And confidence, they must have confidence. If you look at the, like the grand final the other day, the AFL grand final was held in Perth, and you see all those champion footballers, and people say they're very talented. I, to me, talent and confidence get mixed up a bit. To me, they're very confident people, those uh, athletes, and that gives them then the ability, they believe in themselves. And I think it's the same with dogs. I think, don't worry about talented dogs, think about confident dogs. So if you've got a young dog and no matter what he does, whether it's right or wrong, tell him he's, he's right, tell him he's wonderful, let him become obnoxiously confident and then when he's one or two year old, you can move, you've got something to work with. It'll get to the stage where you won't be able to offend him and he's there for you and you'll get 150% from him. Whereas if you're on his case when he's young, first you'll have to get him out from under the ute and then he's gonna take off from you as soon as you raise, you know, as soon as you raise your eyebrows at him. Just get, you know, let your dogs love life and become super confident. So. To me, a dog under nine months old can do no wrong. If, yep. if it does, if it has done something wrong, it's my fault because I've let it get into a situation it shouldn't have been in. I use the analogy of if you've got someone, the, the biggest freeway in Melbourne, I think is probably the Monash, I'm not sure. I was trying to not spend too much time down there. But it's four or eight lanes of traffic, bumper to bumper. This is pre-COVID. If you happened to live on the side of the Monash and you had a little Johnny that had a fascination for cars 
and you just happen to leave the front gate open, uh, it's going to get fairly messy with Johnny standing out in the middle of the Monash. So uh, it's up to us to shut the gate. And it's the same as us with our six-month-old pup. Don't, if your little pup's out in amongst using lambs and got a few going over a fence and he's got a lamb down um, having lunch with it, uh, well, it's your fault for letting that happen. So, yep. yeah, just uh, let them grow up. Uh, there's a whole lot of other things that come into it. Uh, genetics play a big part. So work out what your enterprise is. What what do you want the dog to do? And then go and try and source the genetics that are going to fit your enterprise. There's too much of this, a dog is a dog is a dog. Uh, that's not the case. Every dog is so different because they're made differently. They've got different genetics, different traits. So, you know, if you want your paddock dogs or your mustering dogs or your yard dogs or your truck dogs or your cattle dogs or your goat dogs, Go and try and source the genetics that suit your enterprise rather than try and make a, a Mercedes out of a Volvo. You know, if yep. you want a Volvo, go and buy a Volvo. So there's a bit of that. Um, I'm, so I think, I'm not sure what the question was now, but anyway, I'm just ranting. But uh, <laughs> I think there are two, two things that need addressing really when we're talking about working dogs and, uh, and handlers. One is genetics. It plays a big part. Sometimes I think it's overrated because we just we put everything down to genetics and nothing is attributable to the handler. But I think genetics do genetics to match the enterprise is huge. But the other thing is the handler's knowledge, and that's way over fifty percent. That's I'm I'm rating that at plus over eighty percent of the equation is the handler's knowledge. You know, there's all these other things that us humans have to learn to do, whether it's flying an aeroplane, driving a car. Um, you, you know, any skill, we get trained to do it. Whereas opposed to when we're given a working dog, we just got absolutely no knowledge on, it's a, you know, there's no knowledge. No one's taught us, we've got a dog, what are we going to do with it? And in yeah. the process of working out what we're going to do with it, quite often we do a fair bit of damage because we arc back to the old days when it was bash and crash and it was a high cull rate with dogs. Any dog that couldn't stand what was happening to it, and well, didn't didn't last very long. There really isn't a place for a cull rate. I don't think there's a shouldn't be a cull rate. Like I I don't have a cull rate with my dogs. Every dog can give me something. So even if it doesn't suit me, I can find out what it is good at, and then find someone that's you know has that desire for a dog. Yep. So it always suit if it doesn't suit you, it it will suit someone else. It's always a need for it. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like it's. I do, I don't know whether we're going to get on to, you know, what, what type of dog do you look for, but, um, yeah, when I'm looking at a dog, uh, there's really only one thing I don't want, and uh, and I don't know why, it's just I've never seen one, is, and that's the tail, especially a Kelpie. I'm not too yep. concerned about tails and border collies, but on a Kelpie, if I see, once it's, you know, when it's a pup, it's all over the place, but as it starts to focus on its work or focus on its livestock, if that tail goes up in the air or it's wandering around all over the place, quite often hitting itself on the back of the head while it's working stock, I, I give, I, you know, it belongs, it's a, should be someone's pet. Because yep. I just uh, very rarely seen a dog like that that makes a good working dog. So I like to see the tail still and down. Uh, and you're still, and the dog is usually focused, it's usually strong, 
Um, so there's a few things like that when I'm looking for dogs, but um, most of them, they've got heaps to give us. It's just uh, quite often the handler doesn't know how to find it. Yeah, doesn't know how to get the best out of that particular dog. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, genetics and knowledge. Yep. They're the two big ones, yeah. Ah, very cool. Do you want to read that, Laura? Oh, we've just had a question come in from Jeff Wallace. Um, how do you get... How do you get your dog's attention to stay on you and away from distractions, especially a young dog struggling with fundamentals because of distractions? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, and it's, it's essential that we do have some way of, of gaining their attention when we need it. So, and I use their name so that when my dogs, I use uh, I spent a fair bit of time with uh, Greg Prince uh, years ago, and to me, he was, uh, I called him the Don Bradman of working dogs. I, I mean, I haven't spent time with every person that's great with dogs, so there may be better people than, than even Greg, but to me, he was the best I ever come across, and uh, I could talk more about that, but uh, he he was the one. He, he said, "Use the the name is the attention grabber." So the, you know, dog doesn't carry a mobile phone. It's not wired up to a UHF. So when you want their attention, that they've got to give it to you when you say their name. Uh, so the way I uh, the way I teach that, and a lot of people do, I know, is is just you know, when they're a pup, one of the things you've got to go through the process is teaching them to lead, and you don't want them. You know that you don't want them leading you. It's up to you to lead them, just so that they're soft and gentle on the lead. Every time that lead goes tight, I just say then I do three things in about a matter of one second. I'll give that when that lead goes tight. I'll give it a short, sharp jerk. But, well, within reason. I certainly don't want to hurt my dog. But a short, sharp jerk. I'll say the dog's name. Immediately, the dog will look at you. I don't know why, but it just does. If you do those two things, the dog will look at you. We're still talking about within one second. Yep. Reward your dog. Praise your dog. So three things. Say then the short, um, the short tug on the lead. Say the dog's name and praise it. Those three things. And, in, and it won't be long at all. It uh, won't be long before as soon as you say the dog's name, you've got that dog's attention without having to worry about the lead or anything. So it's quite an easy thing to teach a dog, but it's essential that you do. But uh, it's probably the it's probably the only part that I wish I knew a better way, rather than yep. jag jagging the lead. It's uh, probably the only discomfort that I ever put on a dog in its life. If you do it properly, it takes about ten seconds in the dog's life. But don't whatever you do, don't don't hurt your dog or damage your dog doing it. Um, and that's why I don't like teaching people to do use this system because I'm just a bit concerned that they'll uh, won't do it right. And, and obviously, a little bit of repetition while that dog's younger, um, and you're eyeing up those problems moving forward. Yeah, I just missed that. Sorry, Dan. Uh, use a bit of repetition, repetition while that dog's younger. Now that, that problem, you don't need to wait till that dog's in its like teenage status kind of years. Yeah, it's all repetition. Um, but once again, with young dogs, remember what I said, you know, six-month-old dogs equivalent to a three-and-a-half-year-old child. If you're too repetitious at doing 
you know, if you're trying to teach your three-and-a-half-year-old child their alphabet time over time over time, <laughs> he's going to get sick of learning by the time he's four. So with a young dog, little bits here and there. But what I, what I, um, one of my best uh, training um, aids is 3.5 mil hard braided starter cord. You buy it yep. in a hardware shop. 3.5 mil hard braided. And I get about 10 metres of that. So it's very light, but because it's hard braided, it doesn't get knotted up. I put a little clip on the end of that. And wherever the young dog is going, he's dragging it with him. He doesn't even know he's dragging it. And because I've had probably 50 years experience at it, whenever he's, he, he goes flying past me and I will just get my timing right in that I'll put my foot on it the same time as I say his name. And the little pup will do a lateral bungee jump, you know, and it, and but it, it's associated with his name. And it, it's only a matter of time before he goes flying past me without dragging the lead. And I say his name and he just he pulls up and looks around. I've got his attention. So I hope that that was Jack. I hope that answers his uh, question. But if anyone's got another way of getting a dog's attention and having it all the time, whether you're right beside you or they're 500 metres down the paddock, uh, yeah, I'd love to learn it because that's, as I said, it's the only thing that I'm a little bit cautious about. Teaching. As it stands, mate, I use the same technique, so I'd, uh, I'd be interested to see if someone's got one as well because I'd give it anything a go. Yeah, exactly. But you've got to have it. You've got to be able to get their attention, and uh, but do it. There's, there is a, there's a good way of doing it, and, uh, yeah. That 100%. There's a, there's a few more questions here, Laura. I'll get you to read those. Yeah. Lift my glasses over there. Uh, there's one here from Ethan Fremantle. If a dog has a natural, has a nat, if a dog is naturally a negative five type of temperament, like you mentioned in your training videos, that an owner beforehand worked, had overworked, um, like you mentioned earlier, how do you suggest about rebuilding its confidence and giving it a bit more will to go? Yeah, uh, I see a lot. I think everyone's always heard, heard people say, uh, you know, you'll get one good dog in 100 or one good dog in 300 and things like that. I think where that statement comes from is temperament in dogs. It's just like temperament in people. You can get very shy, sensitive people and you can get bold, arrogant people and anywhere in between. And you can get the same with dogs. You get very shy, sensitive, timid dogs and you can get, you know, arrogant, out there, loud, uh, full-on dogs and anywhere in between. If, and we've got to identify that when they're young so we know how to treat them. Um, if, if I'm good at anything, if I'm able to do anything, it's to identify the temperament of a dog. It's the first thing I need to do when I go to train a dog is work out where it sits on the temperament bar. Is yep. it out there, you know, loud, confident, hard, hard to, uh, uh, you know, hard to offend? Or is it one that just gets offended by me looking at it uh, and is shy and sensitive? They're my favourite dogs because it means I don't have to apply any pressure to get a response. But if I was a hard trainer and a hard person, you know, bash them, crash them, knock this out of them, knock that out of them, that's sort of horrible language. Well, anything minor, anything on the negative temperament stage is not going to cut it. They're not going to make it. So they're the ones, you know, the people that say you'll get one good dog in 100. It's simply because the only type of dog that can stand up to them is a plus five, those loud, arrogant, full-on yeah. dogs. They're the only ones that can stand the pressure. 
and the rest are just they they don't just don't cut the don't cut it so they they're um they're they're out of the equation um as far as ethan's question there with the negative five someone's had it if i understand the question right someone's had that dog before ethan and probably put that's too that's much pressure on it yeah. and it's melted away and uh probably doesn't think much of humans and uh yeah pretty much given up on life really um they most of the time i think you can bring them back but it can take takes time and it's just a matter of just back right off the dog it can do no wrong if you tell it to sit and it doesn't sit fine good dog everything is good about it no matter what it does and yeah. just just let it start to love a human again and then slowly um it's just counseling really and you'll you know put it with some small mob of young sheep that are going to run around whether it does the right thing the wrong thing or nothing praise it and just build its confidence back up and i'd be surprised if you don't get back on track again and that's what i meant earlier when i said dogs are very forgiving too forgiving 100 percent. Mm. Uh, while we're on the term of pressure there i've got another one here from uh, brett medway um, do you consider habits such as tail turning in a good dog a trait or a habit that has uh, been formed or genetic? Uh, tail turning in a dog, and for anyone that doesn't know what it means, it just every time a dog, when it changes direction, when it's working stock, a dog uh, ideally should turn in towards the stock and apply pressure to the stock, and that's what keeps your mob moving. So that's heads always facing the stock mm. that's working. So it yep. turns, into the, turns into the animal or turns into the mob. And then it goes across, and when it turns again, it turns its head turns into the mob and, and what have you. Uh, a tail turner is one that, when it turns, it turns away from the stock, so it takes the pressure right off the stock and off itself. Um, it's one; it, it can be genetic. I've seen there's a line of very good dogs, and I've had some of them from this line actually, and they're notorious for throwing a tail turn. Um, they'll they're quite strong, but they just do it. It's just an inbuilt thing in the genetics of them they'll only go one way i think it's anti-clockwise uh so that's just genetic it had nothing to do with anything else um it also can be caused when a, a, a pup you know we've we got young pups young dogs and we're letting them work stock we're letting them work too close so the little dogs right up the back you know right in them in behind the stock uh when the stock come back on it it's it learns that um to release the pressure from itself, it does a tail turn. And the same as if we tell, I always teach my dogs to walk backwards because quite often I want my dogs to release the pressure on the stock. You know, I might be drafting yep. sheep and I've got a good flow. So I just tell the dog to get off and he walks backwards. Um, I teach them that because otherwise, if you tell a, you know, through, through your training or whatever, if you tell a dog to, a dog to move off its stock to give you know give the stock room quite often they'll tail turn to get away from them and that's quite often because someone has thrown something at them to get them to move back and they'll be ducking missiles as they turn away from the stock so tail turning can be caused by uh handler's error uh it can be caused by just letting the dog work young stock too uh, working stock too close or it can be genetic in there you mentioned um also you touched on um, one-sided dogs how would you go about correcting a dog that you found one-sided uh yeah uh, what you mean by one-sided is that they've just got a, a tendency always always to be either on your left 
or on your right or always uh, favouring the uh, clock, going clockwise and don't like going anti-clockwise. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, once again, we can create those dogs and the utes, people working dogs out of utes is a great example. They've got the driver's window down, so the dog is always on their right yep. and the dog grows up like that and it's very hard then to get the dog to come around and work on the other side. But uh, it's also very genetic and it's just like we are left-handed or right-handed. And if someone told you tomorrow to, um, you know, if you're right-handed and told you to start uh, writing with your left hand, it's very awkward and dogs find the same thing, I'm sure. So if we get a little pup and we, one of the things we observe when we start training it, because the first thing we do is, is balance training and if you yep. want me to explain that, we can later. But uh, just observe your little dog or it might be an eight-year-old dog, it doesn't matter. But you've started training his canine. And if you notice that he's keen to go one way but doesn't like going the other way, well, I just tend once again, build his confidence up. Don't let him go his favourite way. Um, only if he shuts down altogether and doesn't want to play, we'll let him go his favourite way and then have another go. But just try and um, get him to go whatever it takes to go the, the way that he doesn't want to go and really work on that and don't let him go his favourite way too much. But don't don't do it to the detriment of him whereby he doesn't want to go anywhere because you've shut him down. Do you find that um, a lot of people that hunt their dogs around their stocks and might push their stock rather than pull their dog back around, that their dogs, if they're right-handed, their dogs actually go around stock better and off anti-clockwise because they're pushing it rather than coming clockwise because um, and they, their dogs tend to cut in on their stock coming clockwise just purely because they're right-handed, they keep they go that way as without even knowing it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, uh, you've lost me a little bit there, Danny. Can you? Um, You're right. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So, um, do you find that like some right-handed people, without even thinking it, they're always pushing their dog anti-clockwise. So they find that their dog kicks off their stock anti-clockwise and gets out there nice, but then their dog might, when their dog goes clockwise, it actually might steal ground and come in closer to oh, the stock. Yeah. 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 Do you see yeah. that often? Yeah, all the time. And uh, once again, uh, that, you know, with all the schools I've done and you get people um, coming out there with their young dogs and say the things you pick up straight away that the person doesn't know they're not doing the right thing um, because they haven't had the experience, they haven't had the knowledge, you know, I talk about this lack of knowledge out there uh, and you pick it up straight away. Um, no, that's, that's it. Half the, if, if your dog's got a problem, don't look at your dog. Um, go in the mirror and have a look, as I said to you the other day, just look in the mirror and you're going to look at your problem because there's all these things that, you know, when we start our training, especially balance training in a small area, you know, and what you say is one of them. You know, you're always, your body language is always, because you're right-handed, you're always, without you even thinking about it, you're pushing your dog around the right-hand side and yet one day you're going to be out in a paddock and wonder why he's not going around the left-hand side and why he's yeah. cutting in. It's, it comes back to that bloke in the mirror again. Uh, yeah, it's all, and it's the same thing, you know, when we're getting our dog to go around stock, um, quite often in a small area for a start, is we don't give our dog, we, we cut our dog off. As the dog starts to go around the stock, we walk into there, like we, we squash the dog is in yep. against the fence or the sheep. We don't give the sheep anywhere to go. We don't, we, we, close, the, we close the passage off for the dog without even thinking about it. So there's a lot of, there's so many things to, it's not difficult. 
if I can do it, anyone can do it. But it's just all this knowledge that we need to learn um, as we go through life. And it's... Uh, well, there's another scenario to create that tail turn once again, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, if you've yeah, got something yeah. on a fence and you're putting a pressure on a young dog and, yeah. you know, the easiest way for him if he hasn't got that or she hasn't got that little bit of will is, is to go backwards rather than to punch through that gap or create its own. Absolutely. That's so true. And just remember that dogs have evolved over thousands of years, I dare say, to be very suspicious, suspicious of humans because once, you know, as soon as they're born, they virtually know what awful people humans can be but also what wonderful people humans can be and i think in my in our training dvd we prove it that it, depending on the dog's temperament someone will just take no notice of what you're doing with your bits but generally a lot of dogs that you're trying to get going um get going correctly they're very observant of the, the handler in that they don't like coming straight to the front of you they'll they're more inclined to come into your left or your right and they're even happier to come in behind you because they've evolved to know that a human can do a lot less damage to them from the side or the back. And so when you start training these dogs, if you just are aware of that and, and try not to front up to your dog too much unless you're trying to kick them out a bit, but if you just keep working, your, you know, don't, don't front up to your dog, otherwise you'd be more worried about what's going to happen to them than what he is, you know, wanting to get around some stuff and have some fun. So what we're doing with ourselves, our body language plays such a big role when we start training dogs. But um, yeah, so that's the training DVDs that we put together. That's all, and we prove it in them. You know, we we've had dogs do it. Uh, yeah, knowledge, knowledge. That's right, mm -hmm. uh, Lauren. Uh, Laura, do you want to ask that question from Lauren? Uh, Lauren Vest has just had a question come through. What do you think is the low-hanging fruit for people training their own dogs? Um, the simplest, easiest changes or exercises to work on that give the greatest reward or change? Yeah, um, I, I wasn't real clear on that. But So you're just wondering what are the best exercises you can do to train your dog? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, to get the most reward or change, or try to change a particular style in within your dog uh yeah um with my training um even though i'm very flexible uh with it you know i it's not it's it's, it's not clinical uh, i do i have layers like i like to um, call it a system of layers and like you you that's why i call the training system the dog house it's like building a multi-storied house you get the foundation right and then you put the first floor and put it properly and then two and then three. And then by the time you get to the ninth floor, you've got a really well-constructed, successful building. And it's the same as training a dog. You start off, get your first layer down, which is identifying its natural instincts to be a heading dog because that's what um, our working dogs generally are, not all of them, but most of them are heading dogs. So identify that trait in your dog uh, let it know that you know what it's all about so that you're working in unison. Um, yep. So you've got credibility with your dog. So that's the first layer. Um, the, the second layer is, uh, well, third, uh, I'm very big on the care of your dog to make sure that, you know, there's no, that its general health is good, like internal parasites, worms, external parasites, fleas, bedding, um, nutrition, you know, th these dogs, 
they're, they're magnificent athletes. So don't look after them. Treat them like the Olympians get treated to get the best out of them. So, uh, you know, the, identify the instinct, make sure you, the care you take, the, all the, you've ticked all the boxes as far as nutrition, housing, bedding, um, parasites go. Uh, and then uh, you can start looking at control, so off stock. Now, if you've got a little pup, you know, three months, four months, five months, or even six months, don't, and it wants to go and chase some sheep. Well, if you let it go and chase some sheep, put up with the consequences because it's going to be mayhem. So don't start teaching it to sit and to come off stock at a young age because what you're doing is, 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 is remember, it's only got a very small brain at that stage, and it's like taking a, baby, uh, a baby's thumb out of its mouth and giving it a smack. <laughs> the baby's got no idea why you've done it and pretty much as soon you're going to have a very twisted up baby so it's and that's the same as calling yep. a young dog back off stock you know don't do that don't let it near stock if you don't want it to be chasing stock uh so you know teach the uh the dog when there's no stock around when it's on the lead every now and then teach it to sit and we have methods to do that teach it to sit teach it to stay and teach it to come to you when you call it. So those three things, when there's no stock around. Uh, in the process, at any age, you can be doing this balance training. And that's just where we encourage the dog to go right around one side of our little mob. Remember when we start training a dog, everything is small. It'll be a small dog. It'll be in a small area with a small number of small sheep for a small amount of time. Everything is small. Don't go and put it a young dog out with 50 or 100 big crossbred sheep or a mob of cattle. Don't go and put them out into a big paddock. Don't go and play, you know, don't go for a training session that takes half a day. Start small and then gradually get bigger. And when I say small, in a small 10 metre diameter yard with uh, say five lambs, young sheep, not big sheep that are going to stare your dog down and do that confidence that we're talking about. Yep. Um, that's ideal. So when you get in that 10 metre diameter yard, pretend that you're out in a thousand acre paddock and he's going around 500 head of cattle. He's only going around five, but he's got to start with five. And he's going to, you're going to balance him up, getting to, um, just getting to flow off you, just exactly how he is when he's going to be out working when he's older. Um, so I think that's, you know, and it, it was a big question from Brett, but yeah, I, I think, um, I think you, you answered pretty quickly because everything you spoke about earlier referred back to bond, really. So if if you're going to go back there, like um, yeah, the low hanging fruit, I think is creating that bond uh, with with your dog and not going too hard on it too early. Yeah, well, not going too hard at all. I I, yeah. I don't see the I don't see yeah. it's ne necessary. Um, I I just don't. If if you find yourself being tough on a dog, as in you know being bashing and crashing and and relying on fear or pain there's a better way and i, I, I mean in terms of demanding too much from it to be honest but i see where you're going with that yeah yeah, uh, yeah but um i uh yeah i'm anyway yeah yeah i, 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 I don't believe, believe in what you're saying dan yeah, no, you're, you're very passionate about your dogs, mate. We can, we can feel it in the conversations we've had the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, I admire your, your compassion and just your passion for, for dogs, like not just working dogs, but all dogs in general. 
Um, I admire that. I, I think that's fantastic. Uh, probably more people need to take that approach. Yeah, and I, if the, I could just say something else there. Um, I think uh, society, like I hear all the time because I'm traveling around, I see bad things. I see dogs that aren't doing anything and the person tells me it used to be good when it was a pup and now it was not interested. And, and I know straight away what's happened. You know, it's had a shock collar on it or it's, you know, it's had bad stuff happen to it. And I'm all the time coming up and, and seeing that. But society is uh, is going to dictate how we care for our livestock and, and treat our dogs. If they, I mean, as I said before, a lot of people treat their dogs extremely well and that's great. But there's still an attitude out there you know, continuously I hear of, you know, I, the dog used to bite, so I knocked it out of it. Um, I'm going to break a dog in. What is a broke, how do you break a dog in? Or, you know, how do you break a horse in? Is what, what you're doing is applying that much fear or pain to the animal that they submit. Well, yep. if once you've, that's happened to me, you've lost 70 or 80% of what you, of the potential. I mean, they're just doing what they need to do to stay alive and they they dislike you intensely i think that's a better way of saying hate um they dislike you intensely um uh, i think um without mentioning names i think there was a you know some of the, one of australia's best racehorse trainer had uh, amazing results um probably was the most successful racehorse trainer for the last couple of years he's now out of business because of the methods he used to to achieve that uh, and I'm talking about the use of electricity, that charges. Mm. Um, and the same with dogs. I've seen people having amazing results with dogs, say, at trials, but I know how they achieve them. And once again, with electricity. But society, well, if they knew what was going on, it's totally unacceptable. And so it should be. So if you're going to rely on that to get re results, I think you'd need to go and drive a taxi in Melbourne or something. <laughs> You've made that pretty clear, mate. That it's, and there's nothing wrong with that, mate. That's um, that's what we're here to get your opinion out. And um, you know, if if you're doing getting your foundation right and working on it hard, like and working on it properly and being thorough, well, you know, you'd like to think that. You know, well, as you've proved, there's no need for electricity. Exactly right. And uh, there is no need for it. In fact, if I do a dog school. I'll have that little spiel about the use of electricity early on. And uh, we'll get to the end of the two days. And in that time, we've sort of gone from that small, everything small, right, bigger, 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 until such time as we're out in paddocks, you know, casting our dogs and et cetera. And I'll just say to them, I'll say, now, where in the last two days have we, where could we have used electricity to our benefit and to the dog's benefit? And they all look at each other and they're more or less saying, yeah, well, there's really nowhere we could have used it. There was nowhere we needed to use it. Um, so I, I don't know where you use it. I really don't. I've seen the results of it and it's, yep. uh, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty much over it, actually. Mm. Um, Laurie, you had a question here from Sue. Really? Um, there's a question here from Sue. How do you stop an older dog from pissing off and finding sheep? <laughs> It's not a way to word that. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a good question. Um, 
I uh, reminds me of a bloke I used to share for actually, and he was. I always thought he had good dogs. He had, he, he did have good dogs, and uh, um, I remember talking to him a few years later. And I said, "Oh, how he had a young dog there, done pretty well." And I said, "How how's that dog going?" And he said, well, I had to put it down. I said, well, what, did it get sick or something? And he said, no, he said, I couldn't stop it from going down the paddock killing sheep. So he put it down. Um, that's, another, uh, that's another instance where I think you need to go and have a really good look in the mirror. At the problem there was the person. What we're dealing with with these really good working dogs, they've evolved from the wolf, as everyone knows by now. So that's where they've come from. When they see your sheep or see your cattle or your goats, all they want to do is chase it, catch it, kill it, and eat it. And that's why they make such great working, uh, you know, great, great workmates, is because they've got that. But through our training, we teach them uh, to do it in such a way that it suits us. But part of them being, with them being part of our life, part of that is making sure that I have this rule 24-7 that if my, I need to know where my dogs are all the time, 24-7. Uh, and so I don't go inside the house or go inside the shed or go somewhere and just leave them unattended because that natural instinct, I hope, is going to kick, kick in. Yeah. If if I went and left my dogs just unattended for a few hours on my farm, and went away and come back, and there was there was no uh, deceased sheep or animals around, I'd be pretty disappointed because it just means that my little wolves aren't you know they've they've turned a bit soft on me. Yeah. So to to Sue, I just say to avoid uh, that happening, uh, just have a lead near your back door or wherever. Have a lead in your pocket as my DVDs will show every time you get out of bed, the first thing that goes in your pocket before your handkerchief is a lead. <laughs> and uh, every time, just hook your dog up so that he, he can't go, go away. Once they start doing it, they'll keep doing it and then you'll have a pup and he'll take the pup down and then your whole pack's yeah. um, turn, turn pear-shaped. So just don't let them go. Know where they are 24-7 and if you've got to go somewhere, well, um, confine them. I suppose you can bring that back to, um, you know, the earlier training back on your lead as well and getting your recall as well. Absolutely. But even even then, as I said, if, if I left any of my dogs unattended, I'd be disappointed if they didn't go down the paddock and, and get up to some mischief. I, I want them to still have that, that desire, that, that desire really strong. That's what makes them such great working dogs. Yeah, no, awesome. Sorry, mate. I was just reading another question there. Um, do you want to read that? Oh, I can't. Everything's blurring now. Too much time in front of the computer. Yes, yep. Well, there's a question come in from Mark Mengold. If you have a young dog that will mainly be used for cattle work, do you always start it on sheep and then progress to cattle, or do you bypass sheep and then and start that young dog on calves? Uh, <laughs> I. I, I uh... I have started uh, started pups off on uh, on cattle, um, but years ago um, I, I, I wouldn't do it now because I lost some. I've lost too many because just with their age, as I said, they they haven't got the capacity to 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 be to, to learn uh, when they're young and they're getting the wrong place at the wrong time and they'll get they'll they'll wear a hoof to the head 
and get run over or something. And even if uh, they're still alive after it, quite often they're, you know, they've really had the confidence taken out of them. So I always start them off on something really, something that's going to run away from them, like um, lambs or young sheep, something that is going to run away from them and that builds up their confidence. They think they're fantastic because, you know, they get a bit of a chase. So if at all possible, I would, I always start them on, on sheep. You know, people use ducks. I've never used them, but uh, any, any dogs see any live, anything that moves as a food source. So uh, you can train them on anything, but sheep are ideal to me anyway. It's just suited me. Yeah. Mate, you've obviously helped lots of different people training. What, what do you personally take away from, from helping people? Well, it's it's rewarding to especially the you know young people. Um, I've had probably I don't know, be getting close to fifteen hundred people I think through schools. I've never set out to do schools um, because well, you know take, they take up a lot of time. It's only when people ask me and I we try and do it. But I really like getting young people off on the right track as far as being good to their dogs because if they're good to their dogs. Uh, they'll have good dogs. Yep. Um, I, my number thing that drives me is that trying to change the attitude towards people's attitudes towards working dogs. That's my passion is just to try and make the life of our dogs better because uh, it's payback time. It's time we, we acknowledge the enormous contribution our working dogs have made to, for us and to this country. And that's why I started the Casted and um festival and stuff because you know the kelpie originated there and and i just wanted i thought what a wonderful opportunity to have this huge celebration of kelpie you know everything everyone else you know we've all got special days the grand final day and this day and that day well how about having a dog for uh, having a day for a weekend for our working dogs unfortunately it's become a bit of just a, a dog sale now which is not really what the initial concept was supposed to be but uh it's a yeah i just think we've got to celebrate you know put them up front and center i think jack gleason and the kelby i think they should be on our currency I, you know, <laughs> we've got ned kelly and the queen i mean <laughs> I think, if, you, if you ask me jack jack gleason has given us something far more than either of them have I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Today. No, no, that's all right. I, I, I love the honesty. But while we're there, um, you're actually leading into a couple of questions that we had for you there. Was, um, but do you believe, with all the interest in working dog auctions at the moment, do you believe it's good for our industry? Like, Will people start to put a realistic value on the worth of a good working dog? Uh, yeah, I'm in two minds. Now, I, as I said, I was very much involved in starting Casted, which was the first auction. Uh, the reason I started that was 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 part of this celebration, and I just seen it as like the Kelpie originated when Jack Gleeson swapped uh, his horse for a pup, and that was called Kelpie. That's right. So to commemorate that at Caston, I thought, well, we'll have a modern day trade, just like Gleeson had 130 years ago, where he swapped his pup for his horse, uh, swapped the horse for a pup. We'll have a modern day trade, so we'll get all these young men and women stockmen, bring their pups to him, we'll, we'll have a modern day trade. So, and from that, the auction was born. Uh, but I'm in two minds. Well, one thing, good thing that it has done is put a value on working dogs so that 
before the auctions, like people would get a pup for a bag of dog food and a two-year-old dog for a box of beer and all this sort of stuff. So they were very disposable. They, you know, they, the, the people didn't put a value on them. And because of that, they were treaty, treated uh, the, the same as that. Uh, whereas uh, now, uh, I remember the first auction we had in Casterton, um, I think it was one of the Elfenvale dogs made $2,000, topped the auction 2000 Yeah, right. And uh, it just blew the industry away. They thought, wow, what's, what's, I copped it, you know, what's this bloke done? He's stuffed the industry. <laughs> but I was delighted because I thought, well, whoever paid that money for the dog's going to look after it. Yeah. Uh, so that's the good side of it. On the bad side of it, I have started to see, or not started to see, I've sort of been aware of it in the back of my mind, is that we've still got people buying these dogs out of auctions uh, without that knowledge that I talk about. And they've still got this thing in the back of their mind that uh, it's bash and crash, it's pain and fear, it's break them in, it's knock it out of them. They've still got that mentality. In fact, there was on the weekend, there was two working dog auctions. There was one in New South Wales and one in South Australia. Uh, on the ABC Today, I actually heard the buyer, the buyer of one of those top price dogs um, interviewed. And uh, I shuddered actually in disbelief at what he was saying about how he had bought dogs previously and they hadn't worked out. And he hoped this one did. And it was more or less coming through that if it didn't work out, uh, we moved on. It wouldn't be good for the dog. And yeah. I thought, you know, we've got to get past that. We just got to get past it. It was a person that didn't have the knowledge required to drive the dog. Craig Lowndes can get in a racing car at Bathurst and he's probably going to win. I could go and get in his car tomorrow, even though I've been driving on the road for 60 years. I could get in Craig, Craig Lowndes' racing car at Bathurst and I'd come last because I haven't got the knowledge or the skill to drive. And it's the same with our dogs. It takes a skill and a lot of knowledge to know how to drive them. So if you just get one from somewhere and you haven't got that, well, it's, it's not going to end well. So, yep. but it is not hard to learn. So don't, if anyone's listening to this and thinking, geez, what hope have I got? It, it isn't difficult. It's just those steps, as I said, just one step on top of another step on top of another step, change your attitude so that it's, it's working with the dog, not fighting it. Uh, just it's, it's part of you. Um, it'll all come together for you. So um, just change the attitude, change the way we look at working dogs any dog for that matter, but I've got a special interest in working dogs. Was there someone that inspired you uh, when you were a young fella and, you know, um, helped you create a style? Well, what their inspiration on you helped you create your style? Um, I, th I, I don't, not, wouldn't uh, put it like that because I sort of was going all right. I think was, I had seen things that I didn't like Yep. And so that's what I learned to do the opposite to what I was seeing. So I did the opposite and it worked. And I can remember, clearly remember a defining moment where I was, I was still a kid, um, child, and uh, it's when kids used to, well, I was, had to work a bit. And uh, I was in a shearing shed. I, I'd been in a lot of trouble and, uh, and I had this young dog and I was trying to shift sheep from one, it was shearing time, trying to shift sheep from one pen to another. And I couldn't get it. I was bogged down. The sheep were bogged down. I couldn't shift them. And I knew I was in strife that we didn't have a resolution pretty quickly. 
and I pleaded with this young dog to come over the top of the sheep towards me and I was just kidding to him and kidding to him and I was, you know, probably in tears. Anyway, over he come and I was that delighted and just, I just hugged him and, and, and praised him and I couldn't stop him from doing it after that. Mm. I, it was a defining moment where it, he's seen the, uh, the way I treated him after it, after he did that, he just wanted to keep doing it because he knew that it was what I wanted done. So yeah. it was things like that was the defining moment, but it was people like, as I said, Greg Prince, uh, an amazing man and uh, people like Lyndon Cooper from South Australia. Um, I, I learned a lot. I love watching Lyndon when I first started trialing. I just, uh, he just had that, nat he's just a natural stockman. Um, yep. Great with his dogs. Great. Uh, uh, Sally Stanley, another, uh, another lady that um, great, once again, great with the dogs, great stock woman. Um, yeah, a few people that she used to meet me every time I come off the trial ground. When I first started, she'd always have a stick in her hand and she'd say, this is not for your dog, Ian, it's for you. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned a bit about trialling there. So um, you obviously aren't trialling anymore, um, but you did do a little bit? Yeah, I didn't I didn't do as much as I probably should have, but it was when I started the auction at Casterton and all the Kelpie Festival and stuff, I needed to get out, even though I was working dogs all the time myself at this then I, I needed to get out into the working dog fraternity to find out who was breeding uh, to try and get people to bring their dogs to the auction to sell them because it was a new concept. And uh, so I thought the only way I can do it is perhaps start trialling and that may I'll meet some people that, you know, breed dogs and have dogs. So I started trialling and, uh, and, and I loved it. Uh, and I uh, met a lot of, you know, really good people and friends for life really uh, i've really enjoyed it and i anyone that wants to learn position where to how to position yourself to work dogs um how to how to get your dogs to do everything and you know you be quiet and get out of the road and you let your dogs do what they're good at uh it's a it's a great skill so anyone that wants to learn how to good stockmanship uh definitely go trialing it'll and you know the camaraderie of they're great people uh and it's it's one of the only sports where you'll have anywhere from a from an eight year old girl to an eighty year old bloke. You're all thrown in the mix together, and all competing on a level ground. That's what I like about it. And it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how old you are, how young you are, what sex you are. You're all in the mix together, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, as we've just seen with the national Kelby trial. Um, yeah, it's. It's a great sport for anyone to have a crack at and be successful at. What's your no, fondest trolling? Sorry, sorry, I was going to ask. What's your fondest trolling memory? Uh, oh, all of them really. I've probably spent too much time organising trials, and that stopped me competing at a lot. I think I've organised two Australian Yard Dog Championships, and and you know things like that take a lot of work and a lot of other trials that I've organised been convener of, uh, but I, I've enjoyed that as well. And I've done a lot of judging, so people call it, and, you know, you get asked to judge, so you just judge, and that, of course, when you're judging, that stops you competing. But yeah. uh, I think I used to love going up to the Handy Field Day trial. Um, I don't know what it's like now, but back then was uh, it was the best of the best, I thought. You know, the New South Wales stockmen are amazing and uh, great dogs, great people. Good, you know, and they come off the stations, come off the farms, they're real working dogs, they weren't professional trial dogs. 
And so I, I went up there and competed and I got told before I left, don't worry, don't even bother going up there because New South Wales will, never, will not let a Victorian win. <laughs> so um, I, kept, I kept going back and I couldn't get in the top 10 for a few years and then I got into the top 10, then I got into the top six and then I won it. And that was, I think, my, yeah, I, that meant so much to me. Uh, really, I made me think, well, I, I can do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, awesome. So where do you believe is Dog Talk's spot in the community and how can we help our members? Oh, I think just doing what you're doing, I think that's, uh, I think it's a great thing. I take my hat off to both of you. I think it's a great initiative. Um, uh, it really is because we're talking about this knowledge that to me, you know, you've, you've got your genetics and the knowledge. And I think through forums like what you guys are starting and with your magazine and everything, I think that, that you know, it, it's open to anybody to become a part of and access information, ask questions, ask questions of people that they think might be able to help them. So uh, I just think keep doing what you're doing. It'll, it'll grow. It's like when I started the auctions you know i've got it's not an easy journey but it's well it's worthwhile just hang in there and uh yeah it'll it'll be good if there's a person you'd like us to have a chat with at the moment mate is there anyone that comes to the top of your mind um i did think about that actually um uh, there's one bloke i'd like to hear uh, professor paul mccreevy i don't know whether you guys know about him he's from the he was from the Sydney University, I know, but he's done a lot of work identifying traits in working dogs, like he's trying to put some science into it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's good, but I also think, well, if we're going to do that, you know, if we're going to say to all farmers out there, well, you know, this is where the dogs are with the right traits, well, don't forget the knowledge of those farmers as well, because that's, like I said, that's 80% of it. But yep. Professor Paul McCreevy, and he's also done a lot of trial work on uh, the use of, uh, you know, he's been involved in, he's got, well, how can I put this? He's got opinions on the use of electricity in training jobs. Yeah. Um, he's got opinions on that. Uh, he's just, I've never met him, I, but I've certainly listened to him at every opportunity I get. And and he's a, he's a dog man. So, uh, and obviously a very intelligent uh, person as well. So. Professor Paul McCreevy, um, I, I guess you guys know John and Gary White. Uh, yep. Yeah, I think like uh, I've met, oh, well, I haven't met both of them actually, but I've sort of haven't seen either of them for a long time, but I, I certainly uh, had a great deal of respect for for John um, and Gary, of course, but uh, definitely, you know, John was an absolute gentleman and really knew his stuff. So I don't know what, what John's up to these days, but either Gary or John, I think would be great. Gary and Angie are watching tonight. So hi, Gary and Angie. And uh, there, there you go. Dropped him straight into it. We'll get straight into it. Yeah. I'll have a call from him tomorrow. He'll be telling me how good the Dragons are. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. Parramatta made the quarterfinals, mate. Just a quick reminder. Uh, you're talking about that foreign code that I don't that's know. The, the real football. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I just heard before we started tonight that I don't know whether you guys are going to get to play the grand final. Brisbane, what, how's it all going up there? Um, oh no, I thought it was a bit relaxed in out here, but I'm yeah. not sure what's happening up there at the moment. So, yeah, yeah, right uh, uh, that, that'd be pretty tragic. Yeah, really they might have to just go back a couple of weeks, man, and just pick Parramatta. 
Yeah, ask, Victor, ask Victorians of B&Ts if you can't play your grand final. We're really impressed <laughs> about that. Um, and, uh, I mean, people like Lyndon Cooper, uh, He's he's been right around the country. He's he's achieved great things with his working dogs and he's, um, he's a natural. So it's just a few. There's a few out there, yeah. Yeah, no, fantastic. Thank you. But we've had a, we've had a stack of questions here tonight. Sorry for the ones we couldn't get to, but we are um, a bit conscious of the time there as well, and we have sucked up a lot of your your time there tonight, Ian. Um, so we might start to close up a few things here. But uh, mate, who did you think had the best question of the night there? I thought that uh, one that will probably uh, I think a lot of the person that asked the question that could a lot of people could relate to, and that was Sue with the dog pissing off. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that that's that that's it for everybody. You know, people have the same with pups. You know, people get a little pup, yep. and it's all cuddly and they, they love it to death, and then it it becomes an adolescent and starts annoying the hell out of them. It won't come to them when they call it uh, because it's getting smart. If I go to you, you're going to tie me up, and then it gets away from them and starts chasing sheep or chasing something causing trouble. By the time you catch it, you're that wild that you do something <laughs> really bad to it and you've set your training back three years because, you know, you've done some real bad stuff. You've taken the, the dog's um, desire to do, to do what it's supposed to do out of it. Um, so uh, I think, yeah, Sue asking that question, the dog, if, if it gets away on you, and does some damage, it's not the dog's fault, it's yours. Yep. Well, there you go, Sue, get in contact with the page and uh, we'll get our bag of Enduro dog food too. Um, also, I didn't give a plug at the beginning, um, but one thing, next on Friday, our Black Institute One Foot One Step Forward walk starts. Um, I'd like to um, thank um, Marie McKillop and Lauren Vest for joining our team as well. So there's, I think, about five or six people yeah. part of that team now. And like I've said before, guys, if you can't um, donate with your walking, donate with your wallets. Um, it's for a great, great cause there in Mental Health for Black Dog Institute. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us tonight, all of our members asking questions, and you, of course, Ian, for answering them and giving us your time. We really appreciate it. <laughs> and we also wanted to let people know if you did want to jump on, uh, the Stock Dog magazine does have some um, of Ian's videos available. Otherwise, you can also get it from the Doghouse Training. Yeah, I think they actually just placed in another order for some more DVDs there. So there you go. There's plenty, plenty available for everyone. <laughs> so one last question, Ian. No, Would no. Yeah. Cut it. Sorry, go. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Would I rather fight them? Yeah. Wow. Would you, would you take the one duck or the 20 horses? Sorry, say that again. One duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Oh, no, I'll just take one on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what the right answer is. Is it a right answer? <laughs> no, 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 I'm just curious to see everybody's response and as yeah. to why. Why? Well, I don't know. I just think, uh, um, yeah, well, it's like you, you can see one, but if there's 20, well, you know. <laughs> They're coming from everywhere. You've got to be Bruce Lee. Yeah, I'd just like to focus on one for a start. <laughs> no, thank you much. Thanks very much for your time today, mate. We really appreciate having you on board. 
um, and for all our viewers today. And um, once again, remember we learn every day and the day we stop learning will be a sad day for all of us. Thank you. Have a great night. Good on you. Thank you.